0: me mm-hmm.
1: one of the 13 most influential women in goddess spirituality and a wisdom keeper of the goddess spirituality movement. And I thank you for taking your valuable time to be with me tonight and warmly invite you to partake of the wisdom sharing from this show that so many of you have lovingly called a treasure trove of wisdom for our time. And thanks to, to Celia for that little snippet from uh, her cut called meta prayer. And, um, Just in case you didn't know, uh, besides being a radio show host, I'm also a speaker, a life coach, and a sacred tour leader. I'm the author of several books, uh, which include the award-winning Walking an Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, which can actually be used to drive a West Coast goddess pilgrimage or travel to an assortment of other sacred sites of the Divine Feminine across the globe. Then there's Goddess Calling, uh, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology, which gives us some ideas to connect more deeply with goddess and understand how the spirituality helps us become better people and help us make the world a better place. And the anthology, a collection of essays from guests on this show, uh, the anthology of the same name as the show, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, with the subtitle, Conversations to Reshape Our World. And coming out in time for Christmas with any luck is the new anthology, Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward, discussing the wisdom of how values of the sacred feminine offer humanity a new normal. I hope uh, you've been tuning in uh, to my special October series, Honoring the Ancestors, uh, called Gone But Never Forgotten, Their Voices and Work Live On. Uh, In this series, uh, running uh, for the month of October and into early November, uh, you'll have access to some extra shows besides the regularly scheduled Wednesday night show. Uh, On Mondays and Fridays uh, in October and November, you'll have reminders come into your inbox of the interviews that I've done with foremothers and way showers who have passed beyond the veil. Now, you'll get those reminders if you've clicked the follow button on my show page, enabling you to get links uh, to the show. Uh, On uh, Monday's past, uh, we've already had uh, Lydia Rule, Lady Olivia Robertson. Um, I believe we've also got Margot Adler, uh, Lauren Vignier of uh, Isis Oasis, uh, Ash Fidel Long, Lane Redman, author of When the Drummers uh, Were Women. Uh, and still more to come so please uh, as is customary this time of year tune in and avail yourself of the wisdom of these way showers to whom we owe so much uh, their voices and work live on here at voices of the sacred feminine and uh, if you didn't know about the october series it's easy enough uh, to go to the show page and just scroll down a bit uh, and you'll see uh, them listed there according to date uh, you can very easily find them during the month of october October, so don't feel like you, um, you know, have missed anything and, uh, you know, you won't have access to the shows because, uh, because you do with just a minimum of searching. And if you have any questions, uh, you know, I'm always available to, uh, to answer those, so uh, pop me an email and, uh, you know, we'll make sure you can get to those. Uh, turning our attention to tonight's show, I have a double header for you. Uh, first up, we have Lauren Eisenhower, a granddaughter of our former president, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, I believe. Uh, she's going to be discussing the sacred feminine and awakening galactic and unity consciousness, uh, followed by Laura Shannon discussing women's ritual dances, a secret language of the goddess. So uh, you'll want to stay tuned in. Uh, Tonight we will have uh, a very big show. Uh, But one last thing before uh, we actually get started, uh, I want to make mention uh, to guests out there because uh, time is of the essence. In April of this year, uh, we had uh, the founder, Karen Moon, on the show. Um, And um, the Divine Feminine app was released. Uh, back then, uh, which Karen talked about. It was a resource for listing women's circles and Divine Feminine events all over the world. Almost 900 circles and events are listed there on her Divine Feminine app, uh, and women keep registering each day. Uh, You can see more at findawomancircle.com. Um, the app or DF app, as it's called, is a free resource where you uh, easily register and then can search circles and events um, by you or virtual uh you know, slash online. They're currently uh, doing a Kickstarter campaign to fund a second version, which would allow uh, women to do three things. They would um, be able to add, uh, uh, women would be able to add profiles where you can like your favorite host and then see when they add new events and want to send out any updates. It also allows you to see profiles uh, by you and featured profiles. And there will be more ways to search uh, things like retreat events and things. So um, there's only four more days to this um, crowdsourcing uh, campaign. It ends on the new moon, October 30th. Um, She's only at 27% funding, and this is an all or nothing thing. And a $25 pledge would make a big difference. And, uh, we'll, and it will also get you a three-year planned profile membership, uh, and there are some other wonderful rewards there. So anyway, go to Kickstarter.com and search for, uh, the Divine Feminine and you'll find out, uh, you know, more all about that. And, you know, kind of a vital thing, I believe, uh, for us to be able to stay in touch and know what's actually happening, uh, whether it's across town or across the country, uh, or it's uh, across the globe. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and uh, turn uh, turn our attention to our first guest tonight. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about her by way of her bio uh, before we start our chat which is going to be jam-packed full of lots of good information uh, Laura Eisenhower is a global alchemist, a cosmic mythologist, and an intuitive astrologer. Uh, she's an internationally acclaimed speaker who's presented her work worldwide. She's considered to be a leading researcher on the topics of exopolitics, alchemy, metaphysics, ancient and galactic history, and this ascension window period, which we'll be talking about. Um, a feeling a calling regarding her mission since she was a child. She gained incredible insight through experience, psychic development, and research about ET races, multi dimensions, timelines, uh, and higher earth energies. Her passion is to inspire unity consciousness bring us back to the heart of Gaia, our divine template, and expand into our galactic consciousness. With great passion and courage, she's helping to expose hidden agendas and illuminate sacred union, divine wisdom, and the many forgotten faces of the goddess. And her website, just in case we forget to mention it later, is her name, lauraeisenhower.com. So, Laura, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me
1: So Laura um, Lots of interesting stuff here I know um, I caught Sight of your work uh, A while back And uh, was so happy to Uh, connect with you and um, schedule you to be on the show. Uh, You have such interesting topics that you've made your life's work, and uh, uh, and under that big umbrella of your work uh, is also the sacred feminine. Uh, I think before we get into all of these different topics, which we're going to try to touch on as best we can in the hour that we have. Um, tell me first how uh, you know how this came to be your mission. You know, how do you find yourself in this place at this time? And um, you know, and, and I'm curious about the, the connection with our former president as well. If there's anything you'd like to say about that?
2: Yeah, well, I think there's certain things that are just a part of who we truly are that we wake up to and there's a lot of different messages along the way that helps us to uh, understand that and, you know, discover it. Uh, it, it's it's a mixture of things. It's a, it's a knowingness, but it's also an experience where uh, you, you gain greater insight and um, knowledge that brings you into the core soul of who you really are, but then you also get a taste of how it might be able to serve others and be something that you can um, share. uh, As I do readings and work with people one-on-one, I also do events, and I, you know, put stuff out in the public. And so I guess that would link to the Eisenhower part of it. Um, But uh, I've always been connecting dots, and I knew since I was a child that I have something particular to do, just like everybody else. And, uh, and it's important just to, to live on that authentic level because I think that's what we're missing. Um, there's no real purpose that's greater than anybody else's. I just think the greatest purpose is just recognizing who we are and what we need to do as a human race in order to get over these control agendas so that we can begin to unite. And, yes, that relates to things like politics. But the facades of politics have taken us further and further away from the real goals that I feel, you know, being related to Eisenhower um, and being connected to my deeper soul mission that I'm I'm helping to bring it back around to what it really means to, um, you know, be leaders, each of us as individuals, and, you know, what it means to join forces and take responsibility for um, ourselves, our planet, our health and well-being, and uh, the health and well-being of future generations and, and, and what it means to be a steward and guardian of, of, of the natural forces.
1: Right, right. And so well, it's a and lifelong
2: it, thing, I guess you could say.
1: I, I, I hear you. And, and, you know, so many people do go through life, and they really don't know what their purpose is or their mission is. So, you know, you're one of the lucky ones. Um, you know, was, was there any defining moment, though? Um, I mean, was there any particular experience, That um, I I mean, have have you had personal experience with, um, you know, beings on other dimensions, ETs, you know, anything like that? Or, I mean, how do you come to your information other than, you know, how so many people do, you know, just research?
2: Yeah, when I was younger, I had uh, contact experience. Um, I was definitely in touch with, I guess you could say, my spirit guides. Um, I, I did encounter a higher benevolent race that helped me to understand um, and prepare me for this window period we're in. Uh, I was recruited to go off planet in 2006, which would have sabotaged my ability to talk about the things I'm talking about that relates to our movement into higher earth energies, which actually relates to our DNA and our chakras. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it's not me just being lucky to awaken to my purpose, um, We all have the same purpose in discovering who we really are, and the best way to uncover it is to be authentic and to to understand what we're passionate about and what inspires us, but also what hurts us and where we need boundaries. And I think living on that sort of honest level is how we can best serve the collective. And there's different mediums that we can do that through music, art, uh, speaking, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's been many defining moments, and my mission or my life's work has, has morphed and changed over the course of time. Um, my background is in wilderness expedition leadership, but I also went to a clairvoyant institute, and, you know, I've done a lot of inner work, but, you know, and then, you know, I'm a mother, and I, and and just observing the family and, and, and just how big of an impact just the position of presidency can have and also not have because of the shadow government, Um I've just been processing a lot and uh and, and trying to sort of integrate it all and, and, and I just try and encourage people along the way, you know, and help helping them to see that it's it's not about a hierarchy and it's not about a chosen one or anybody being more special than the other. It's just let's just get to the core truth of ourselves because without that we can't really unify. How can we unify you. if we're programmed? You know what right.
1: I mean? Well, uh and and you know, and let me just say before we, you know, get into specifics that uh uh, I'm not surprised at all that you're the leader that you are. Uh, I mean, I, I, I look. I mean, you know, I I am. You know, history is not you know my forte. I mean, you know, I don't have a Ph.D. in history. You know, I'm uh, more into you know religion and spirituality. But um, I uh, so often think about um, you know President Eisenhower warning us of the power of the military-industrial complex. And we see the power that the military-industrial complex has today, uh, you know, where we're in perpetual war. And, you know, I guess when I came to goddess spirituality, you know, uh, just so you know a little bit about me and have a sense of, you know, who you're talking to, if it, you know, maybe puts you at ease at all. um, You know, I I grew up in the Bible Belt. And, you know, we didn't know, you know, we didn't hear anything about the goddess in the Bible Belt. And, And it amazes me that I could have gone my entire life Never knowing um about that whole part of history, you know, um, because it doesn't fit the patriarchal agenda uh you know it 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 uh it it doesn't serve so many you know so many people to um, uh, awaken the masses to this information, and I think that really shifted my consciousness. you know it made me realize that there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we have to go dig for ourselves because it's not going to be taught in the mainstream. Um, and And I think there's so much that is deliberately kept from us <clears throat> which sort of puts me in this place where I have an open mind probably a lot about so many things that other people would be afraid to have an open mind about, you know. And, um, and you know, so I commend you for, you know, speaking out about some of these topics because I know myself – uh people have tried to discredit me in interviews uh simply you know because i talk about a divine feminine you know uh people have tried to discredit me in is- uh, you know in interviews because i talk about women's issues and you know they don't believe that there's uh you know a gender injustice out there um so you know we all you know are in our own little bubble we all sort of have our different life experience uh but i do know how hard it is um, not to be discredited out there, uh, I think when you're talking about things uh, that some people want to put in the realm of, uh, you know, maybe crazy conspiracy theory stuff, um, I, I, I would imagine you've you've probably run into that, no?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we see, you know, Hillary Clinton running for president, so people think, oh, wow, a, a female president. And, you know, but why have women been so discredited or not taken seriously? Well, look at what women have become. You know, it's about looking at who they are on a magazine cover and looking at the image. And they'd rather look at that than have the woman or female or feminine open her mouth. And so women shouldn't buy into the programming and appease that lower ego nature. So... It's about everybody waking up, including women, you know, and not right. allow it to be so surface because they're kind of asking for it. Just like if you are a masculine energy and you only allow yourself to be taken seriously on a surface level, or or, or be appreciated on a surface level, you might be shut down too. Um. So we got to kind of drop that and, and recognize the cultural and societal programming and the social engineering, and women just have to say. You know, who cares if they're going to shut you up? And even if you, you, you are that person on the cover, I mean, it's it's not about you pick one or the other, but, I mean, it, it's time to become all of it and recognize where the boundaries are and also where your dignity is and where um, you want to represent yourself. And so I choose to represent wisdom, which means that I'll probably let go of the rest, and I have. <laughs> because I'd rather okay. be taken seriously, but it doesn't mean people are nice to me. It doesn't right. mean I don't get the criticism. But well, um, yeah. and, you know, and, and I, think I think it's important some- to celebrate outer beauty and inner beauty. But but we each have to be willing to accept all of that within ourselves, including the shadow and including the flaws and the things that we don't like, and drop the projections of what perfection is.
1: Well, and I think too, there's some out there that would prefer. masses to be uneducated and lack wisdom, you know, because then they're more easily duped and manipulated and exploited for the, uh, you know, for other people's benefit. so, yeah, and I mean, and hillary clinton is not was not my favorite, uh, and she 's still not my favorite you know uh, you know I was a Bernie Sanders supporter uh, because I felt like he really had the interests of the most of us at heart uh, rather than you know representing you know the corporate dominators out there who um, you know were killing the planet and you know uh, uh, causing all the exploitation, uh, you know, to the earth and the planet, you know, and, and the people and the species, you know. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, so let's, uh, you know, let's let's sort of get on the on some of these topics before we run out of time. Um, you said something that intrigued me uh, in, in early early on in the interview, and you said something about um, you had some sort of opportunity. Uh, some t- sort of, uh, forgive me, I, I don't remember the words you used, but it sounds like like some sort of uh, galactic or otherworldly opportunity to, could, could you have meant leave the planet?
2: Yeah, um, you can, you know, Google audience members about it. Um, in 2006, I was recruited to go to an off-planet colony, and if you didn't even know about it, I don't, mean to bring it into the show because it sort of shifts the subject but I mean there's there's hidden agendas going on and uh um there's things that Eisenhower warned us about many many layers to the military industrial complex and yes there's other opportunities too in this human realm that I turn down and uh I'm just kind of that's kind of what I do I turn things down and I turn to myself and I ask myself well what about you what's your truth and uh And I'm willing to take the risk to just listen to myself. Um, And and, and that's what I kind of stand for, is that we all do that, and it's worth the risk rather than giving our power away or just nodding our head to whatever somebody else says or wants us to do. we got to start with the self first. And so, if anything, I'm just taking a stand on that level. Um, But, you know, I'm related to Eisenhower, and he had to make decisions that affected millions of people, and there's a lot of pressure because, you know, when you're in a position that involves, huge populations, um, you know, you got to think about what's best for everybody. And it, things didn't go so well and haven't gone so well uh, answering to advisors and shadow government and, and, and uh, off-planet entities because that's actually what we're dealing with. Um, and I think what he really is, is guiding me and what he really wanted was um, to, to, to bring up all these hidden truths. And, and so, what does it translate to? Is that we, we we begin to understand who we are, so we can have discernment and recognize okay. the, the manipulations and the and the negative power. And so, here I come, and I I, I see these invitations, and uh, and and I and I want to know myself before I, I I answer to them.
1: So let so let me ask you, and and look, and and let me say up front, um, if I ask you anything, you don't feel comfortable answering. Um, I want to give you the option to say, no, let's go on to another subject. But, um, you know, being someone who's been following politics pretty long, um, you know, I feel like President Obama has really disappointed us. I don't think he's turned out to be the guy uh, that, you know, was going to really, you know, have all the hope and change that so many of us expected. I don't expect Hillary to be any different. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, we're choosing one brand of corporate domination over another. And some people believe, you know, I've, I've discussed things with people. They think that you've called, you, you've, you've said the word shadow government, uh, you know, a number of times. And I know people that I talk to say, well, you know, we think maybe President Obama had the best of intentions going into office. But then maybe when he got into the White House, you know, somebody sat him down and showed him the Zapruder film or, uh, uh, you know, told them how it was really going to be, and that's why nothing t- too much uh, has gotten done, so to speak. You know, that's uh, anyway. Um, I wonder if, if you know, and some people talk, you know, talk about the Illuminati, and I mean, all sorts of different ideas about who's really pulling the strings, um, and you know how all of our politicians are just puppets and i I wonder if there, if you feel comfortable you know talking about that a little bit, you know, and, and if you do, who do you think is pulling the strings? you know who are these uh you know the the top leaders that run the world? who are they really answering to and and do we need to be afraid?
2: We don't need to be afraid, but it's not ever, and shouldn't ever be up to one person and and I mean yeah we we, we can consider a leader um, is going to. Be the one who makes decisions. But my background in wilderness expedition leadership taught me a lot. You know, you can be the trail guide. You can uh, point people in a certain direction. But ultimately, you can't do it for them. Um, Everybody's got to drink water and make sure that they're carrying their weight. And everybody's going to have to make sure that they can keep up. You know, but you also have to hold the hand of the slowest hiker or you're going to leave them in the dust. But it's a group thing. And, 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 you know, when I was in that position I recognize that being a leader means you're a voice for everybody, you know, and, and you're finding the win-win or the, the middle ground or, or the, the best for all involved. And that's not what the presidency is. Um, there is another element going on, and, and, and we're really kind of voting for that and keeping that alive. No matter how well-intentioned the person who's running is, um, it's better – we are better serving those well-intentioned people by exposing the crimes against humanity and the kind of games that have been being played for thousands of years, more than going off and voting at an election. Uh, Our priority is to lift the veil and, and, and get real about it because no candidate, unless they're willing to take a bullet is going to be able to do it all on their own. I mean, look, look what happened to Kennedy. Eisenhower briefed him about the UFO issue uh, Eisenhower had a lot of contact and, and was very privy to uh, the fact that we are dealing with off planet entities. Um, and where did it go from there? We had an assassination. Reagan leaked a little bit, um, and then we get the Clintons and Bushes and facade upon facade. And uh, even you know when we look at some of these presidential lines, we're dealing with trauma based mind control. Where we'll get certain aspects of them that sound sincere. And people, you know, feel it energetically that, wow, you know, this this could be a good person, but we, it's like the mentoring candidate. You know, they can flip a switch. Um, I don't think Donald Trump is caught up in the same uh, sort of family um, game and, and manipulation, but unfortunately he's got such a tactless personality that he's turning everybody off. and And so it makes Hillary look like, oh, look, she's, you know, standing up to the minority, but Hillary is entrenched in the Illuminati stuff and is dangerous. Um, so people really need to read more about it. Uh, look at the book, and I, and I mentioned I this in a lot of interviews by Kathy O'Brien, called "Transformation of America." And uh, you know, so I think we all have to look to each other. It doesn't mean you don't vote, but I mean, the power is with us, and that's what I learned in my you know my background, but also my family energy, and then I think this is what Ike you know, really wanted. He didn't want to be put on a pedestal either. And, and uh, you know, he really, you know, cared about the, the progression of, of human consciousness and, and our evolution uh, as far as justice, fairness, and equality.
1: So um, so can you say a little bit more about um, the off-world, off uh, what is it, a base? or um, I mean, who's there? I mean, what is the purpose? Um, you know, uh, tell us, you know, speak more to, uh, you know, the interplanetary people pulling the strings. I mean, or, uh, are, are they here to help us save the planet or is it something else? I mean, what can you tell well, us depends. about that? Because, I mean, that's a big we're carrot to dangle and not talk about.
2: <laughs> well, we're multidimensional beings and we attract whatever it is we are energizing. So if we're in a negative ego construct within ourselves, we're going to attract negative beings that are going to play us. You know, if we have a greed mentality, if we want power and control, there's all sorts of entities that are, you know, wanting us to feel that way so that they can be vampires and feed off of it. But there's also benevolent races and forces that want to help us. So I look at it like the human body. You know, we've got the immune system that can pretty much eradicate anything, but we have to be in balance for it to work. But if we're out of balance and we're running in our negative ego, then we're attracting dark energies, and we can see that in our own personal life when we're in a negative ego state. Whether we're insecure or arrogant, um, we're attracting dark elements, and we can see how we attract predators or negative people. You know, but if we're in our light body or if we're you know, in our higher consciousness, we also attract um, challenge and attack. You know, but we have to be senior to it. We have to recognize it and and continue to stay strong. So when we look at off-planet entities and how it relates to government, well, treaties have been made, and there's agreements with negative beings and leaders who have that greed mentality that are going to work with dark beings that want to teach these leaders how to screw over the human race so that only some can benefit and not all. But ultimately, it's feeding you know, these beings, just like we feed our negative ego when we're bent on status and fame and, 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 and we're all for ourselves and, and not the collective. And so it's 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 easier to break it down when we can look at ourselves and recognize the connection between the micro and the macro. And so these treaties are whatever. I mean, you know, it's just an agreement that can be broken amongst ourselves. But if we vote, then we're making a contract. So if you do vote, I would just protect yourself and, 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 and not – Fully sign yourself over to it, and begin to look at the work that you need to do as an individual um, in your relationships, in your relationship with yourself, and in your community, and at the world, and you know, in in the world at large.
1: Okay. Well, and and do you mind me asking you? I mean, which way you're leaning uh, in terms of voting? Uh, you know, for the election.
2: Personally, I've never voted, and I'm very global mission orientated, so I don't feel like I'm you know, being neglectful here. Um, If I were to choose, and I still might, i I definitely not Hillary, and that's all I'm going to say. I just, I I don't support the government system, period. Um, I think Trump is safer, but, you know, he he should know better than to have that kind of character because he turns people off, and, you know, he might really want to fight the system. I don't get that he's entrenched in the Illuminati, but he's entrenched in sort of that money business mentality to the point of having... His own ego be off balance, and that attracts negative entities, but not in the same way that the Illuminati families are operating. If you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've. I, I mean, I remember seeing articles about the Clintons, you know, uh, that go to the Bilderberger meetings and things like that. So, and I know the Bushes do too. I mean, it seems like they're they're all sort of part of those. Uh, those elite shadow groups that um i don't know that, that feels like that you know they're the uh, fraction of the 1% that uh, are pulling the strings and you know makes the rest of us uh you know sort of at their you know at their economic mercy unfortunately right so um you know let's uh, let's get to the uh, you you've called it um uh, I think the ascension window is—is is that correct? Um, tell me what this ascension window is, and is—is um, is it something we can use, or what? What should we know about it?
2: We well, have to understand it's organic. I think you know people get a little lost about it. Like, what do I do, and how do I tame it, and you know, does it mean we float away, and and does it mean that we leave, and? Um, is it only for some and not everyone? And uh, I mean, there's a lot of confusion, but to me, um, it's like the seed of a flower. You know, its potential is to blossom, and it's already encoded in the the instruction set of the seed. It's already wired into it what it's going to end up becoming. And the human race, you know, is wired to ascend. The planetary body is seeded as an ascension planet. It's got a 13D core, which is 13 dimensions, which is what its potential is. You know, everything remains dormant until we're able to perceive it and wake it up. Um, you know, we know we're only functioning at a uh, DNA level that's far less than what we're capable of and same thing with, you know, our brain power and what we use. So uh, we have 12-strand DNA potential and beyond, but we're functioning at, like, two, three-strand. And um, Okay, so junk DNA? Uh-uh. N- none of it's junk. It's-, it's a part of what we're waking up to, and when we do... When we expand our consciousness, the Earth naturally responds. But the thing is, we're in alignment with the galactic plane, and uh, we are in a position where activations are happening via nature, you know, from the core of the planet and from the cosmos and the planetary alignments to give us what we need to wake up. So it's a co-creation. So if we're able to expand, we help the natural stargates open, and if we're sensitive enough and we can feel that this is what the Earth is doing, then we, in turn, can move through the initiations and be a part of it, but if we're not a part of it, we start to siphon ourselves off, or we get siphoned off into artificial timelines, and we end up living an imitation sort of artificial existence where we're actually enslaved. But a lot of people don't realize it because, you know, they're getting rewarded or they're 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 um, they're being um, given given a, a false sense of security. And, and we know that right. that security we have to begin to let go of, you know, and find an inner security and the foundation of our, you know, spiritual selves so that we can handle these rocky times instead of going to fear or survival. And that's what they want. They want us to be dependent. And we got to begin to let go and, and recognize our spiritual abilities and the fact that we're the advanced technology and we're the ones um, that they're actually frightened of. Because once we realize our power, they've got nothing on us. But as long as they can convince us that we got to give our power over, whether it's the medical industry or or governments, then we're gonna miss out and, 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 and it's here. The resources are here. There's nothing to fear. We just have to be willing to be open. Um, and uh we don't have to strategize or beat our heads against the wall. We simply need to just breathe and sit against a tree and allow, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well it, it well you make it you make it sound simple. Um <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I mean, we've been talking, uh, you know, people, that, you know, the circles that I'm in, you know, we have been talking about, you know, a paradigm shift is, is uh, afoot and, you know, the the 13th monkey – I mean, I'm sorry, the 100th monkey idea and morphic fields and all of this uh, because, you know, people have been saying that, you know, we're on the verge of uh, – you know, humanity sort of uh, growing up, you know, uh, vibrating on a higher level, um, you know, getting beyond uh, all of this muck uh, that we sort of find ourselves in now. So I don't know if we're actually, you know, talking the same language. I mean, you know, some. I'll be honest, some of the terminology that you use is... Uh, is is not totally familiar to me. You know, it kind of goes over my head a little bit unless we're kind of talking about the same thing, just just maybe using different words. Um, yeah. So, so you know, I I guess I'm I'm wondering. I mean, as an astrologer, um, you know, I've I've had other astrologers on the show. Saying that they thought in the next uh, 12 to 20 years we would see significant positive change, um, I, I wonder if you if, if you feel the same.
2: Absolutely, we have to look at it like it's a maturing process. If we're immature, we're going to act out, we're going to throw little tantrums, or we're going to be in denial. And you know, we have. Uh, you know, the reason everything is positive is because we can make choices, you know, that that lead to our health and well-being. You know, it's just like when you're sick, you have two options. You know, you're either going to be put on a lot of drugs and be told what you've got and and what it's going to do and how long you have to live, um, or you're going to take it into your own hands and understand the root cause and how to really transform and allow it to serve you and your greater self. And uh, the thing is, Chiron, the wounded healer, is the asteroid connected to the 13th sign of the zodiac, which connects to the goddess and the feminine. Um, and it's ever since 2010, the sun has been passing through Ophiuchus, which is the 13th sign, which is activating this part of who we are. And it's actually linking our DNA to the trinity or to uh, source energy beyond lower creator gods and, you know, the dogma that we've learned in religion. So, you know, the reason everything is positive is because it's in our hands. But it can be negative. You know, with any wound, it can either become an infection and, and have gangrene, or it can form a powerful, strong scar tissue, which is actually stronger than the skin that was originally there. So, you know, everybody has a choice as far as how they're going to work with the collective wounding and the personal wounding. We each have our personal story, but we also have this collective story. And we have to drop the wars, the, the mentality of historical resentments that these wars have taught us. You know, I mean, we think we're just dealing with racism or feminism, you know, and, it's, and, and, and all that is, is, is a program. You know, we're born as children very innocent. We, we, we just know to love and accept each other. And so all the different things that have taken place over time is to really conquer and divide and to, you know, give us this feeling that we have to fight for something, our rights. But the thing is, that game is really here to drain us and distract us because it keeps um, throwing other curveballs that take us further from the goal. And that's why we see, you know, th- these presidents running. You know, and I do feel Obama had his hands tied, but um, Hillary is a whole other thing. So I think it's all very simple, very organic. It's a healing process, but you have to be mature about what it is that needs to be healed. And if you can face it head on and look at it on a holistic level, you're going to help the planet to, and humanity to move into higher earth energies. But if you give your power away or you allow an infection to set in, then you're not really running the show anymore and you've become lost. And uh, usually the soul, gives us the wake-up calls we need before it's too late. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, technologies and a lot of propaganda out there that's making it really hard for people. So it's not easy, but if you step away for long enough, it really isn't that complicated.
1: Okay, well, I want to put two questions to you. And, um, and the first question is um, these, these ideas that you're putting forth about sort of an alternative way to be in the world – um, what does that look like in very practical terms? Um, you know, I, I, it feels like you're kind of uh, talking in theory uh, or a little bit vague, and, and forgive me, I'm sort of a detail-oriented Virgo. So, um, I mean, how does, how does that look uh, to the average person on a daily basis? That's number one. You know, how do they shift their life? What do they do differently to... Uh, achieve what you're talking about that's the first question and the second question is who do you trust to get uh, uh, accurate information I mean we have seen uh, what's happened in this I I think for some of us uh, I, I mean we were just hit between the eyes like with the two by four we we just saw how blatant uh, I mean, they're not even trying to hide anymore um, how uh, corrupt even uh, the media is. Um, so, where do people get uh, reliable sources of information? Who do you believe? And do you think... And as part of that second question, um, do you think WikiLeaks is a reliable source?
2: Well, I mean, I think I mean my my approach is practical. Our, our physical body, is you can't get more practical than that, you know, because it's what allows you to wake up in the morning and breathe. So you got to ask yourself, what's your body trying to tell you? What are your physical symptoms? If you've got asthma, if you've got a rash, what is the deeper reason? Do you just take something for it to make it go away, or do you understand the root cause? And I think that's where we have to begin. We have to be conscious in every moment. We have to ask ourselves, what are we in agreement to? Do we like the relationships we're in? Do we like the job we have? Do we agree you know, with where we're investing our energy. Do we like what we're getting in return? You know, and just look at your life and and, and observe it and break agreements with the things that, you know, don't serve you or the greater good and begin to make choices that, you know, are healthier. Um, and then you're going to change the world. Um, as far as reliable sources, I don't read, um, much, uh, my reliable source is nature and my own inner work, uh, WikiLeaks, maybe, I mean, I don't know. I, I, uh, the, the one source that I feel good about is Lisa Renee. Her website is energeticsynthesis.com. I browse it every once in a while. I always get goosebumps. But I uh, don't watch TV. I avoid uh, a lot of outer information. I don't rely on anything or anyone to tell me where we're at. But I observe other people's thoughts about where we're at. But ultimately, in my body and its you know innate wisdom is, is guiding. So if something feels wrong, if I feel... Uh, a physical symptom or if I feel angry or depressed, I ask myself what is going on and what can you do to shift it? And and not only do I wake up more of my mission when I ask myself those questions, I understand, you know, my physical body and I address it. You know, so I think people need to maybe get a natural path or figure out, you know, where are the excesses and deficiencies on a nutritional level, but also, you know, where um, are you compromising yourself? Because our physical body responds to the energy, and we don't even need all these supplements and vitamins if we're, you know, in bliss and, and we're empowered. Those things do help, but we got to, like, look at both. Um, how we're taking care of ourselves physically and what is the quality of our emotional life and, uh, and, and work, you know, all aspects until we feel whole and good. And then we generate that frequency into the environment and we help activate others. And that's what's going to raise consciousness. You know, whatever about this or that or governments or politicians – you know, the, the conspiracy stuff in the WikiLeaks is important, but it's also important to have discernment because they're going to play with our heads, you know, and throw in disinfo. So it's important to be in touch with that, but, but, but you've got to start with fine-tuning yourself and your own bullshit meter so that you can see through the games because they know exactly where we're at right now and they know exactly what we're wanting. And so they can, you know, trick us and, uh, and, and, and kind of throw us off if we're not careful, and that's where the new age deceptions come in, uh, you know, and so this isn't a time to be afraid, this is a time to feel liberated, because this is our chance to really fall back on ourselves, but we fear our power and our darkness, you know, but our darkness is where we plant seeds, it's where we birth, and that's what we've lost with the feminine, is, is that womb, you know, that darkness that generates life, and, uh, yeah. and, and things are hiding in the dark instead and controlling the show, but they, well, they really and- don't have any control. <laughs> We well
1: and 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 yeah I, I I think they are afraid of our power. Uh I I think that's that's pretty evident. I mean, you know, I've I've sensed that too and I mean and you know, I mean research will tell you that people dominate because they're afraid. <clears throat> uh you know, people uh people interrogate, people intimidate uh because at the root cause uh <clears throat> is their own fear. Uh, you know, that maybe they aren't good enough, you know, so they have to do that to other people rather than, um, you know, have po- give people power to uh, or have power with. Um, you know, I think a lot of our listeners... You know, really do get that. Uh, I am getting in my chat room uh, a couple people uh, have asked me to please ask you if you would elaborate more on this um, this this uh, off world base that they wanted you to visit uh, I, I think you know this is this these are sincere questions, I believe, and one of them is talking about um, Oh, who is the Tesla guy? Uh, the guy with the Tesla cars who's trying to uh, get us to Mars? Uh, does how does that fit into all of this? And uh, and I mean, are we? Is there actually some sort of base, and where is it? I mean, is it on the moon? Is it on a planet we don't know about? Um, what do you know about that that you feel comfortable, um, you know, saying to us?
2: There. Planets we haven't even heard of. There are bases on planets we haven't even heard of. I mean, there is life. There is activity. Um, do I have absolute proof? No. I mean, I do travel there in the astral. Did I go to Mars? No. I was recruited, and I know a lot of whistleblowers, and I have, um, you know, my story that you can read about. But, you know, Corey Goode talks about the secret space program and has blown the whistle. So, you know, if you really want to know the details, I would Google Corey Goode. Um, people like Captain K, Michael Reif, um, and others that are more experiential with Mars. I was recruited, um, and it connects with an off-planet agenda um, related to the secret space program and things that happened after the Second World War. Uh, There's multi-dimensions, though, and different timelines. And so, you know, you're going to get different information and facts depending on your vibratory frequency and depending on your open mind and depending on, the synchronicities that show up and, um, you know, so I, I don't fix anything to an absolute. All I can say is, you know, embrace the experience, open your mind, see what you discover, um, and and allow yourself to be the gauge. If it's too much, have a boundary. If it resonates and you feel an openness to it, then maybe investigate a little further. You know, and the things we have a boundary to, maybe we'll have an open mind to later, but it's not about, um I mean, the thing is we want to push the envelope and we're, we're going to get shattered, but at the same time, you know, we've got to be very methodical and, and take it step by step because it does rock our foundation to the core, you know, to hear about things that we weren't raised being taught. Um, it, it, you know, we, we, we got NASA, we got, uh, you know, other sort of tidbits and stories connected to uh, how we relate to the universe or space. Um, and so I would just take it slow and have an open mind, but, Uh, From what I understand, because I was a part of a recruitment before I had an open mind, but now it's like, okay, I've seen it firsthand, these agendas, but I haven't seen the bases firsthand, but I know people who have. Do I trust them 100%? I don't trust anybody 100%, but I have an open mind and I have discernment, and I encourage everybody else to do that because your life will prove what it needs to to you, and you'll be on the fence about certain things, and then you'll be shut down about certain things, but all that can change based on your experiences and just, you know, allow yourself to have the ride, you know, but, but watch out for where there's imbalance and unhealthiness within yourself. That's what you want to answer to more than anything, because the rest will come, but, you know, don't destroy yourself over it and don't shut yourself off to the point of um, negating not just our, our greater potential as a humanity, but, you know, also the things that are at stake.
1: Um, I want to talk a little bit about the sacred feminine, and I know in some of your materials um, you refer to Gaia Sophia. You know, here on the show, you know, we talk about the sacred feminine in, in uh, you know in different ways. You know, sometimes we talk about uh, the sacred feminine or goddess as deity. Sometimes it's archetype. Sometimes it's ideal. Sometimes it's sort of the Uh, the cosmic feminine to which we're all, you know, maybe interconnected. I wonder what does the sacred feminine mean to you?
2: Well, it's understanding, you know, our connection to Gaia, um, Mother Earth, and the balance with the masculine, and just going deeper into those sacred energies of intuition and psychic awareness and nurturing and creativity and, you know, just that divine power, Um, and, and those qualities that exist on the inside that we lose touch with because our culture teaches us to focus on, you know, what's outward and what's on the surface. And if you look at nature, nature is beautiful, but what's really going on? We've got radiated waters. We've got skies that are being sprayed. We've got animal extinctions, you know, so mother earth on a surface level, you know, is needing us to see her on a deeper soulful level in order to heal, And so look at women today, you know, plastic surgery, insecurity, shame, you know, um, repression of sexual energy or overuse of sexual energy in a way that, um, you know, can be harmful. And so, you know, we we just got to peel back the layers and get to the core. And so the sacred feminine to me is, is in balance with the sacred masculine and it's a dance and it's a divine template within us. And, uh, but we're born into a world where it's a power struggle, where we've got the patriarchy and the negative ego and the exile or exploitation of the feminine and her sexual energies and the male energies as well. Um, and there's no victims here. Everybody's got to step up and, and ask, okay, where am I playing into the game? Where am I feeding it? And what do I need to do to heal this and be more authentic and be more whole and happy and um, and accepting You know, because that's what is ultimately going to heal the things we might judge the most. And, you know, if we can let go of the judgment, too, maybe we'll recognize that it it was beautiful all along.
1: Right, right, right. Um, Now, you also talk about soul and global alchemy. Um, Tell us what that is and why is it important to us?
2: Well, the Mayans understood the Venus transits and the orbit of Venus actually draws a perfect pentagram in the sky and for thousands of years – If you track the path of Venus, it it creates that perfect star, Um, and it's helping uh, to align us with spirit. And and the four elements with the fifth element of spirit allows us to recognize that spirit holds dominion over matter. But when we look at the inversions of the pentagram and and how the Illuminati have used that symbol to sort of enslave our consciousness, um, you know, the alchemy part is recognizing you know, who we truly are, and what we're truly connected with, and all the other stuff out there is feeding on our fears, our survival energy, our emotions, um, our our sense of power, and uh, and so the alchemy is saying, wait a second, let me align with spirit, and let me purify these elements, because when we purify our own inner elements, the earth responds, and so global alchemy is doing that inner work, and recognizing that doing that inner work is actually what's cleaning what's outside of us, because we're made of earth, air, fire, water, but if we're in that place of allowing um, something to dominate, then those elements get contaminated. If we allow ourselves to be empowered, but, you know, in balance and in in, in integrity and in our, our higher consciousness, then that spirit energy cleanses and it turns the lead of this human experience into gold. And so that's been my focus my whole life. And I've, you know, always been communicated to about that, you know, my inner self, my, you know, connection to spirit and spirit guides, you know, have you know, help me to, to see this. And it's and it's a personal thing. I, I do sessions with people and help them to activate it. But, you know, it, it translates to something macro, um, which is what this Ascension is about.
1: Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm getting a question in the chat room for you about um, uh, climate change. Um, I I know we've talked on the show sometimes. Uh, I think that's maybe where this question might be coming from, from a regular listener. Uh, Something to the effect of uh, could uh, climate change actually be the sacred feminine uh, trying to purge the planet uh, to make it healthier, to uh, get us to the point where we can maybe start over again with a clean slate? Um, I'm wondering if all the things you tap into, uh, if uh, that resonates with you at all.
2: Yes, but we also have to understand, I mean, if you see somebody in a bad mood or being sort of depressed or angry, you might say, oh, you're programmed or, oh, you're being manipulated. Or, oh, wow, you're being authentic. You're actually really expressing how you feel. So look at nature. She's got storms. She's got volcanoes. She's got earthquakes. She's got floods. But then there's weather modification, and there's HARP, and there's uh, superstorms that get induced uh, with these dark technologies. So, um, you know, w- the question is, what's authentic? So we have to take the leadership role and say, okay, well, I'll be authentic. And, you know, and, and the thing is, regardless of how we're feeling, whether it's coming from a programming or not, it has to be expressed to its full in order to get, a, you know, to the other side to, to, to see if the source was valid. You know, is this a real wound that needs clearing, or is this a, an attack? or um, a distortion. And uh, so I believe and think, you know, obviously, I mean, we don't need to save Mother Earth. She's multidimensional. But I feel she's giving us a chance in this dimensional realm that we're in, in this density that we're in, to see where we're going wrong so that we can correct ourselves. And then she'll respond to us as individuals and as a whole. You know, but it's an initiation into these other strands of our DNA, which represents other harmonic universes and higher Earths. So there is going to be that natural purging that helps us to get there, but then there's going to be the manipulation of it, which in turn will be us kind of being manipulated and we'll sort of miss the mark and and maybe um, get locked into a, a more of a control system that includes nature. And that's what's at stake, you know, and that's why our authenticity and, and connection to our own soul and the soul of this planet is so important because we've got technologies that tinker with nature. But yes, of course, Gaia is stronger than that, but there's a portion of her body, just like our ego, you know, that, that is going to reveal something that we learn from, but she's multidimensional. Her identity as Gaia is only giving us a certain piece of it. And we get to decide, you know, w- w- what are we aligning with? Are, are we allowing ourselves to recognize that we're embodiments of Gaia or are we power hungry and are we exploiting and using it and allowing ourselves to give our power away, which ends up being used as a weapon against us and, and nature is right. a part of that and so it's, it's it's something that we're we're all in this together including the planetary body but she's much stronger than this this is just a portion of her that's saying hey do you see what's going on here folks
1: <laughs> yeah um you know i since you know we're talking about ets and other dimensions and that sort of thing um i wonder um what your thoughts are on like the zachariah Sitchkin books um the guy who wrote *Chariot of the Gods*, you know, all of this kind of ancient alien uh, stuff that's so popular now, which has almost become sort of a secular religion almost. Um, I mean, do do you believe those stories that uh, you know that that at at one point uh, you know our DNA was altered or um, you know? I, I mean, there's there's so many different. Uh, you know thoughts along these lines, you know um, uh, Atlantis, Lemuria, uh, all of those 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 different stories um, I, I mean, do you say yes, 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 to all of that, or uh, it, it, is that just way off base?
2: I think there's something to be taken from everything, um, but I, I I never give my full belief system to anything. There's a ton of manipulation in Zachariah's stitch and stuff there's tons of manipulation in religion. But yet there's truth to, you know, the teachings of Christ that they bring up. But there's a lot that's um, distorted to disempower. Um, So what I encourage people to do and what I do is I take what resonates and I leave the rest. I see different pieces that I need, but I see things that don't resonate that I know don't serve me and and I don't bring them in. So it's kind of like going to a library. It's like I might open a book and flip through it. I'm not going to read the whole book. You know, and then I might pick up another book, and between maybe five books, I get my answer. But reading just one might not do it for me. Um, and I just, I think it's important that we appreciate the information that's out there, but not to fully give yourself over to it. Always check with yourself. You know, be open to the information that's out there, but recognize it's, it's like our parents. We inherit stuff from them. You know, there's stuff that we inherit that we don't want, or that we want to change, or that is damaged or a little bit off. But then there's valuable stuff that we get from them. You know, but we're not going to reject our parents because there's some stuff that we don't want. We're going to heal it, you know, and we're not going to put them on a pedestal because of the things that we do want because it's ours as well. I mean, we, uh, on a soul level, um, either have a match or, or signed up to uh, get exposed to it. So I look at it with information. I'm not here to judge or smear, but I take what resonates and leave the rest. And I can certainly say, and I didn't mean to smear Sitchin, but... Um, and it's just I, I get that there's a lot missing, but there is a lot of hidden truths, just like with anything else. But if you give yourself fully over to it, you might miss something within yourself that's meeting your attention. And and this is what these times are about, um, yeah. is, is, is is to stay centered. Uh, but there's well, specific disinfo well, and manipulation out there that uh, you know, that's why I don't even bother.
1: Well, you know, I think the difficulty is, um, you know, or maybe the the – uh, you know the the difficulty in going just with what resonates with yourself is you might end up going down a path that is false. you know I mean something may speak to you, um, but there may not be scientific evidence to back it up you know so does so does that end up uh, making you a rube? Uh, if you know what I mean, but
2: but then you get to fall on your face and get back up again. And at least you taught yourself the lesson, you know, you can have an open mind to something or a friend or, you know, they invite you to go somewhere and you might say, yeah, I want to go on that trip. And you might've had a horrible time, you know, but you felt called to go. It resonated, but it, you know, and if it didn't go well, then you gained something. And if it did go well, then that was a great idea. You know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that resonates with me actually doesn't resonate with me. Um, but I know that I need it because it's purging something or helping me to connect with something. You know, if we're always answering to our ego and what's easier, that's different than answering to our soul. And I think, you know, there's a major division between the two with people. And so the more we're in nature, the more we experience, you know, real love and we take it to a deeper level, the more, you know, it's it's kind of like I'm hungry, so what are you going to do, eat fast food or eat healthy food, you know? Yeah, you're going to get full no matter what you eat, but what's going to nourish you? Maybe it's not the thing that tastes the best, but your body's going to thank you, right? So, I mean, I, just, I, I really think it de- depends on what level of consciousness you live at. And there's certain synchronicities that will bring things that resonate with what you need to experience, but you might not like it. So I think there's right. a fine line between the two, and it's a really good point. But I, I, yeah. I, I think it depends on the consciousness of the person.
1: Right. Um, well, uh, I, I, the next guest uh, is a little bit late calling in. I suspect she'll probably be here in the next minute or two, uh, but that gives me a little bit uh, more time to ask uh, maybe one or two less questions, Laura. Um, you were going to talk a bit about the chakras. Um, I would imagine most of our listeners know about the chakras in a general sense, um, but I get the feeling that you may uh, be talking about the chakras on maybe some other level. Um, what you know? What is it you want us to know about the chakras from your perspective?
2: Well, our chakras relate to DNA activation, and we're taught that there's seven chakras, but there's actually like 15 um, and other you know chakra energy centers that are connected. That are you know the numbers are more than 15, but there's 15 main ones. And this is from a lot of research and a lot of meditation and personal experience. When we get into the higher chakras, beyond the seven, we we begin to go into monadic integration and hierogamic union. And so we begin to recognize that everything is a love story and that our DNA activation is connected to experiencing the true love story and divorcing the imposter, um, which is keeping us in duality or keeping us in a lower-strand DNA expression or keeping us locked into a sh- seven chakra system that keeps us looping and incarnating over and over again into this human experience. We have to initiate ourselves beyond the seven to open that gateway beyond because as much as the seven chakras are great, there's a lot of manipulation. And so the journey of the goddess into the seven gates of power into you know those experiences are actually to cleanse the chakras to turn the seven archonic powers into the seven pillars of wisdom. And once you achieve that, then you begin to go into the galactic and then you begin to download the galactic into the physical and you begin to embody and experience the true divine template and it shifts the earth grids, it heals the earth grids and and it helps everything that's been in reversal, you know, be corrected again. And the reversals come from the manipulation of, you know, the Christ story or the manipulation or demonization of the feminine and some of her archetypes like Lilith. Um, and, and our kundalini and, and, you know, how that reptilian mentality is a lower serpentine energy compared to the dragon, um, cosmic dragon, and how that connects to cosmic laws and natural laws. And so we need to initiate ourselves through the seven chakras, but not to stay locked into them, but to open the doorway into the galactic.
1: Okay. Well, Laura, um, I I have to say this has been an intriguing conversation and uh, definitely I think you've probably given listeners a lot to think about and a lot to research. Um, I want to give you the last word here uh, because I see uh, my my other Laura is on the switchboard and we're going to get to her here, Uh, but I want to give you an opportunity to give us your website, uh, tell us where's the best place to go if we want to hear more about all of these topics uh, that you've talked about tonight, and just sort of give you the last word to sort of, you know, wrap up our interview.
2: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, and thanks everybody for tuning in. LauraEisenhower.com is my website. You can book a session. Um, I, I'll be speaking at Star Knowledge Conference in Desert Hot Springs uh, for November 11th. That's not updated on my website yet. Uh, there's going to be, you know, expos and all sorts of things. I'll be updating as far as you know where I'll be in the physical. Um, I'll have a book out soon, but I, I recommend people getting sessions because. You know, I, I help with the activations and help you to be more authentic and to let go of ancestral patterns or, or heal them or transmute, you know, just whatever it is uh, we've been given. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, check it out. And you can find me on Facebook, and I keep things pretty updated just on that alone. And I'm I'm there under Laura Eisenhower. And so thanks okay. so much.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Laura. Uh, it's, it's really been interesting tonight. And- uh, I really do thank you for uh, you know opening up you know opening the audience to some really great new ideas and some avenues uh, that I'm sure many of them will uh, end up uh, traveling down to research. So uh, thank you and best of luck to you with everything you're doing and uh, have a great conference next month.
2: Thank you so much and have a great rest of the show and, and everything else. Take care. Bye bye. Okay.
1: Okay. Good night. Well, uh, that was Laura Eisenhower, and I'll just mention her website again. Uh, it is her name, lauraeisenhower.com. And uh, I see we have our next guest uh, on the switchboard, um, Laura uh, Shannon, and uh, we're going to be getting to her uh, here in just a minute. Uh, but before we do, um, here's a word from Joe Carson. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature, and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of it. This is my mother's planet. I came out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, you've been listening to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature length documentary film. In it she interviews fifteen visionaries and teachers about earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddess as Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. These spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them yourself but haven't, this is a great opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini book, which goes even deeper into the material. And you can buy the DVD and the booklet for only $20 at DancingWithGaia.com. That's DancingWithGaia.com. Okay, so we will uh, turn our attention to tonight's second guest, uh, Laura Shannon, and I want to introduce you to her uh, by way of her bio, Uh, Laura has been researching and teaching traditional dance for over 30 years with a particular focus on women's ritual dances and is considered to be one of the grandmothers of the worldwide sacred circle dance movement. Her work explores the inherently therapeutic quality of traditional Armenian, Greek, and Balkan dances, particularly women's dances, which have roots going back to ancient times. Laura sees these dances as a secret language a nonverbal means of transmitting knowledge and information, encoding and reference to the ancient goddess which was once worshipped in the same area of old Europe where the circle dances still survive. Laurie gives workshops in more than 20 countries all over the world, and her articles have been published in many languages. Her work has been mentioned in Iris Stewart's book, uh, titled Sacred Woman, Sacred Dance, and her essays on women's ritual dances have appeared in Dancing on the Earth, Women's Stories of Healing Through Dance, uh, published by Finehorn Press, and She Rises, Volume 2, published by MAGO Books, and in numerous international anthologies on dance. She recently edited the book String of Pearls, 40 Years of Sacred Dance in the Finehorn Community, and she also writes a regular blog on feminismandreligion.com. Laura originally trained in intercultural, intercultural studies and dance movement therapy and is currently pursuing graduate studies in myth. Cosmology, and the Sacred at Canterbury Christchurch University in Canterbury, England. Laura is also a musician and has produced or collaborated on numerous recordings of music for traditional dances of Armenia, Greece, and the Balkans. Born in the U.S., Laura is a longtime resident of the Findhorn Ecological Community in Scotland, and since 2005, she also lives part-time in Greece. Her website is her name, laurashannon.net. Laura's website lists her upcoming workshops and trainings in Europe and North America, her books, CDs, and numerous articles you can download for free. So Laura, a warm welcome to the show. Thank you very much,
3: Karen. Thank you for having me. I've been such a fan for years. It's a real honor to be with you tonight.
1: Oh, well, that's so nice of you to say, and, and uh, so wonderful to hear somebody with your credentials would, would love the show so much. That warms my heart. <laughs> oh,
0: aren't you sweet?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so where are you calling from right now, Laura? Are you in Greece or the U.S., or where are well, you? Well, yes, I'm in the U.S. I'm having a little
3: family reunion with my parents and sister and nephews, so I'm in Florida at the moment, and uh, looking okay. out over the ocean waves and just enjoying that so much. But uh, most of the time I do live, uh, well, either in Greece or in Canterbury, where I'm studying at the moment, or in Findhorn in Scotland, where I also have a home. So I seem to be one of these uh, planetary nomads, I guess you would say. But um, for me, the the secret, and I, I know I've heard you talk about this on past shows, too, is about being at home in the present moment and being at home in the body and being at home on the Earth Um that's, I, I think, what I'm trying to, trying to practice in my life.
1: Well, you know, I can't imagine better places to be than some of the places you've mentioned. Uh, I was, I, I was just actually, and, and I'm so glad you're not in Greece tonight because that would mean you would be having to stay up at like three o'clock in the morning to talk to me. So I'm right. glad this wasn't such, uh, such an ordeal for you, and, and oh, you know, me you're too. just. A few hours later, uh, maybe yeah. 10 o'clock. <laughs> Although you know, um, the, the
3: staying up late would be very Greek, also.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's just about you know when when you go to bed uh, right, over or there. A-
3: Yes, when people change nightclubs, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, but and you know, but Men- Canterbury. I mean, I know uh, having done sacred tours over there in that area, Findhorn. Uh, I haven't been there yet, but I know that's a very magical place. Greece. Yes. Uh, another magical place, I dream one day that when I can retire, maybe I can spend three months in some little uh apartment over a tavern with my laptop writing as oh, I look yeah. out over the the Mediterranean. you know yes, um, why wait for retirement, come any time. <laughs> well, maybe so, maybe so, and and you know when I um, when I learned about you and your work, I was really excited. Um, you know, I don't know if you know Danica Anderson. Um, I know she she has been on the show. She has a Facebook page, yes, and she yes, writes about the, the yeah, polo women's dances. That's and right things. from Croatia. She has a very inspiring book uh, or two books, I think. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and and uh, she it's been a while since she's been on the show, but then when I, I discovered you right about the time I was inspired to try try to revive uh, here in Los Angeles the Dances of Universal Peace. Oh, um, did I would you? Imagine oh, wonderful. You're, you, so you're familiar with those?
3: Yeah, it's like a sort of a sister movement to the Sacred Circle Dance movement, and many people do both. I love to do them also. I really enjoy them.
1: Well, you know, when I first started doing them, probably in the 90s, um, one of the things, uh, and, and I'm sure that's what you're going to get into, but I just want to sort of make this association uh, so mm. you'll have a sense of where I'm coming from. You know, when mm. I learned the un- Dances of Universal Peace in the 90s, I was so blown away by the feeling you uh, one got just doing the dances. You know, it, mm. I, I, would, I, I remember thinking of them as blissful filled yes. and then when I saw you, um, you know, you talk about these dances as a language of the goddess. You mm. know, that really sort of added a different dimension, and maybe it explained why we felt so full of bliss after we do these dances. And mm. I wonder, is there some sort of psychological, neurological, spiritual thing that happen that really does happen to us when we're doing these? sort of group folk dances? Yes, absolutely, psychological
3: and neurological and uh, physiological. Um, It's one of the reasons, I think, that you find communal dance traditions in cultures all over the world, and it always produces this joy, which is kind of a, a sacrament. We need joy. We need the experience of pleasure to um, have a good life as human beings, but not just pleasure by ourselves, to connect with the other members of our community in a um, spirit of joy is I think one of the great gifts of any kind of dancing that you can do in a in a circle with other people
1: well and well that uh, thank you for that I mean it sort of validates um, my suspicion you know because i I thought well could this just be me you know is it just having this well you know but you know back then you know i i you know was a little bit more introverted you know and uh-huh. I, it, I i didn't ask people well are these you know the, you know i didn't say well this is how these dances make me feel what about you you know uh, but, yeah. but I never forgot it, and I missed it. Mm-hmm. I craved it, and mm-hmm. that's why, um, you know, I'm trying. I don't know if, if we'll be successful, but in November and December we're having some uh the Sacred Circle Dances and some Universal Dances of Peace, come back to the Goddess Temple in Orange County down here in Southern California. And I'm hoping we can revive it, you know.
3: Yeah, I'm sure you can because, you know, it's something that feeds a place in our soul that I believe is hungry and thirsty in our culture. And you are certainly not the only one that finds them bliss-filled and finds that they're, Deeply nourishing. Uh, Sometimes it takes a little while to get something off the ground, you know. But you seem to have the organizational (laughs) talents. I'm sure it will fly beautifully.
1: Well, Sorry, no, we'll see. No, no, that's okay, yeah. and and and, um, and and you know, don't be afraid to interrupt me in the least. I mean, <laughs> this is just a casual conversation. Uh, but but you know, I I think we're all under such stress and duress mm. and angst yeah. that these are, this is almost a healing thing. Would you absolutely. would you agree?
3: I would absolutely agree. And what you said earlier about at that time when you were learning these dances of universal peace, you felt that you were more introverted you know one of the things i love very much about all circle dance um modes or modalities whether it's dances of universal peace or international folk dance or the traditional women's ritual dances or the sacred circle dances all versions on a a, a theme really is that Both extroverts and introverts can come together and meaningfully participate in a group activity. And if you think about it, there are really quite a lot of activities where extroverts kind of dominate, (laughs) you know. And yet when everyone's dancing and nobody's talking, everyone's joining hands in a circle and doing the same steps together at the same time. It doesn't matter what our personalities are like. It doesn't matter whether we even know anyone, It doesn't matter whether we agree with the people dancing next to us, whether we vote the same or worship the same, what the color of our skin is or our gender identity. None of that makes any difference, or it doesn't need to be the central focus, let's say. We can transcend all of those things that normally divide us in daily life, at least that's my observation, and just focus on that unity. And I think that's really... Uh, it's like a sacrament. It's like something
1: holy that's quite difficult to find. Do, do you feel the same? I, I do. Um, I mean, the, the fact that you just said sacrament, I think that is a perfect description. At the risk of sounding too Christian, you know, or Catholic, mm. I'm a, you know, I grew up a Catholic and uh, mm. recovering Catholic. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, but you know, it does feel like something sacred. Is going on, you know, um, and uh, it. It. I. I just remember. I'm really looking forward to these dances uh, because. Um, I don't know. I know. I crave it, and I would imagine if other people would give it a chance, um, they would walk away going, "Wow, you know, wow," um, and um, and I wonder, um, aside from this healing, this bliss, this uh, this. Sacredness that comes along with doing the dance, how do you um, logically or intuitively um, how do you uh, you know how do you um, connect it uh, to to describe it as a language of the goddess?
3: Oh well. Uh, That's a little bit of a journey. Shall I start at the beginning? (laughs) Sure. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so I I will get there uh, eventually because that's uh, the most exciting thing about these women's ritual dances uh, that I've discovered so far is the way that I do see in them uh, a language of the goddess, mostly a nonverbal language or certainly a nonrational language. So um, I will come to that. But I just want to start out by saying, just in case some of your listeners haven't done a lot of folk dancing or circle dancing. Um, what we're talking about is, uh, I mean, the Dances of Universal Peace, which I hope people also know, and if they don't know, they have a chance to get to know, right, at your event uh, at the Goddess Temple or in many other venues where the Dances of Universal Peace take place, where people come together in a circle, they share movements, and they usually sing mantras to different names of the divine. Yeah, is that a good description of the Dances yeah, of yeah, Universal absolutely. Peace? absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the the phenomenon of moving in synchrony in a circle has a much older root, and that's the dances that I've been researching. They mostly come from Eastern Europe, what we call the Balkans, the Balkan Peninsula, Bulgaria, Albania, Greece, Armenia, Turkey, the Near East. Those are the main places where I've been doing my research. And the reason that I've been studying those dances there for more than 30 years now is that they – still have a folk dance tradition where people dance in circles in a shared movement pattern. Everyone does the same steps, holding hands together. And this is an extremely ancient form of communal celebration and coming together in that bliss and that joyful state that we were describing before. My focus has been on the women's ritual dances, and I came to those almost as a kind of... um, it's like a, I don't know, a, a subset maybe of the international folk dances that many people are familiar with. And since about the 1950s in North America and in Western Europe, there was this whole movement of international folk dancing. I don't know if you've come across that, Karen.
1: Well, there, there, uh, there is a group here in L.A. that does some international folk dance, but I've never actually attended, so I don't know much about it at all. Yeah, well, and it's basically, it, it, yeah. What it sounds and, like. and there are people too that do like these uh, English country dances and square yeah. dancing, but I don't know yeah. if we're, uh, those are uh, are those related at all. I mean, they it, are it, it related. Doesn't... They are okay. related.
3: They're kind of like um, cousins, uh, a couple of generations descended from the circle dances. What happened was, and this is what I wanted to say to you also, because people often ask, well, why do I have to go to Eastern Europe to study these dances? Why couldn't I stay, for instance, in the British Isles, where I have most of my ancestral roots and where I live also? And the reason is that in History, the circle dancing, which I believe was common to all of Europe, as in fact you can find people dancing in circles in almost every culture on our planet. You know, there was this time of uh, the persecution of the witches and the people who were close to the earth, and dancing in circles was sometimes mentioned in some of the witch trials in Northern and Western Europe as a sign that the women, mostly women, sometimes also men, were up to no good, were celebrating in a way that was outside the framework of the church. And so around that time, also, uh, there came these um, uh, movements really from from the church, I would say, but also from the state, to forbid the dancing in circles in open air, sacred places, which used to be part of the culture of the British Isles. And then it turned into set dances, square dances, partner dances, couple dances, anything but a circle, (laughs) almost. Mm -hmm. And yet the oldest form of communal dance was the circle. And you still find that in Eastern Europe where I've done my research. For one reason, um, it's because the Orthodox Church didn't ban dancing the way that the Western Catholic and Protestant churches did. So something has survived there for a longer time. They are related, and there are still some circle dances in Western and Northern Europe, too. You can find them in Brittany and the Faroe Islands, and one or two of the Celtic dances are in the circle form, Salinger's Round and so on. But the real circle dance tradition that's still alive, Bulgaria, Greece, uh, those are the main countries that I've found the richest sources of uh, experience in, in these ancient traditions.
1: Okay, okay.
3: And um, what, what drew you to this? Well, you know, I think probably, Karen, it was a little bit like you. Since I was young, I felt this hunger for the divine feminine and a sense that she was missing from my culture, from church, from family, society, community. I really felt that there should be... A feminine face of the divine. I felt that divinity should include the body. I felt that people should celebrate together instead of competing with each other or killing each other. And so I was always on the trail of these missing treasures. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah and so yeah. what I found, this is back in the 1980s now. I mean, I was just a teenager and these different strands came into my life at the same time. The women's spirituality movement, of course, people like Starhawk and Zee Budapest and Grandmother Twyla and Susan Weed and all of the books that were coming out. It was such an exciting time that was guiding me to think that I wasn't the only one searching for an embodied experience of the divine feminine. And then also through women's oriental dance, Middle Eastern dance, as a prayerful practice, not as a performance art, uh, that showed me that there could be a connection to that sense of the divine within my own female body. But that was more of a solo dance tradition. And because I was seeing these circle dances in the international folk dance scene, I thought there must be some circle form of the sacred women's dances that also has roots in the distant past and that was what I was I guess inspired by on my on my search with the international folk dance groups that I was talking about it's pretty much just like it sounds people would get together in groups all over the world and dance dances from different countries mostly european but also from all parts of the planet And I was in this um, network for a long time, but I observed that the dancing, how can I put this, it wasn't really geared towards the creation of that blissful, collective joy that you described so beautifully in connection with the dances of universal peace. It was more like people were in competition with each other who can remember the most dances who can do the dance with the most steps who can do the fastest steps who can do the hardest steps and you'd have these folk dance groups you know in this country and also in Europe where half the people three quarters of the people would be sitting down by the end while this little core group of uh, diehard fanatics would do these really complicated dances that nobody else could do and they mm-hmm. were happy with that. They were happy that not everyone could join them because they were getting something out of
1: um, being yeah, the ones more, who were winning the competition. <laughs> more about the ego, and more and about I the and ego. I would yeah yeah and I would say these dances, these circle dances, that is the last thing they are is about the ego. Exactly.
3: Exactly.
0: Yeah.
3: And, uh, it took me a long time to understand that. I had to travel myself to. Uh, the Balkans, which I started doing in the late 1980s, um, and I've been many times, many research trips, of course, living in Greece for the last 10 years, it's very easy to go off for the weekend to a village festival or a village ritual, And um, but even the very first time I went... I could immediately see, okay, firstly, almost all of the dances that people will do if it's a village festival or a wedding is they're doing really simple dances that everyone can join. Everybody of every age should be able to dance, these slow, simple dances. There's almost no dances that are only for the young, the fit, the fast of foot, you know, it was the opposite ratio to what I had seen in the international folk dance groups where we had almost no simple and slow dances, you know. Mm -hmm. I even remember uh, at some groups they would put on music. This is in the days of the record player, right, back in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. They'd put on a, a slow simple dance and after 30 or 40 seconds they take it off again done with that that's <laughs> boring <laughs> so so people never got to that neurological and physiological state of synchronized brain waves and entrainment and a shared movement pattern which actually helps to stimulate the production of oxytocin and all those feel good hormones and you know that's stronger when you experience it in a group in a safe place but the group that I'm talking about, uh, several groups actually that, that had that um, kind of an antipathy to the slow dances because they thought they were boring. What they were doing was they were preventing people from ever reaching that state of a shared brain, uh, brain waves that brought people into that place of peace and bliss. And yet mm. in Bulgaria in Greece and Armenia and Turkey and the places where I traveled, that was the first thing on the agenda. That was the most important thing about the dancing. Everyone can join in. The steps are simple and slow, and you dance it for a long enough time that everyone gets aligned in that way.
1: So, so Laura, do what I, you think? do you think it's uh, the... Uh, well, you said that, you know, uh, like in Bulgaria, Turkey, Greece, um, they do do it slow, so everybody gets together. Maybe their intention is... Uh, community bonding, you know uh, yes. I would think that would uh in you know sort of uh, motivate that wouldn't you say
3: absolutely that 's absolutely what um,
1: affirms
3: community for people and there's even there 's a village in Greece that I research in it 's on the slopes of Mount Olympus and the foothills and the old Women and men there, they still dance together and sing together every Sunday afternoon. There aren't a lot of young people living in the village, but the old ones still dance. And I was there a few years ago, and one of the old grandfathers was saying to me, you know, it's hard to live in a little village. People talk about you behind your back. There are misunderstandings. People fall out. He said, but if you look around, everywhere else in Greece, these things lead to feuds between families that can go on for generations. He said, but we fix them before it can get to that state because we dance together every week. And he said, if you're dancing next to the person that you had that big argument about over the tractor, you know, it doesn't take very long before something else comes between you that's more important than that argument.
1: Yeah, pretty and, soon you're uh, smiling at one another and, and, uh, and, and the, the, the past slight... Uh, is gone. Uh, You know, um, one of the things I'm really interested in uh, is this idea of um, uh, caring communities, caring economics, partnership, nurturing, the whole idea of the sacred feminine, you know, and I could see why... Um, you know, our world is in the shape it's in without these sorts of things. And these dances, I mean, could be just a wonderful tool to encourage communities to, um, you know, practice that kind of um, uh, feeling toward one another, if you you know what I mean.
3: Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And that's why I think in the Sacred Circle Dance Network, people have chosen to try to emphasize those community values and the ethic of cooperation and inclusiveness Compared to the competitive ethic I was describing before in the international folk dance scene, I have to say I have had many wonderful experiences of inclusiveness and community in international folk dancing. Also, I don't mean to be painting it um, at all with a, you know, a, a, a brush to 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 color um, people's opinion of that. I mean, I guess you can find everything everywhere. <laughs> you know, we're always human beings, but this also brings us back to your earlier question about the language of the goddess, the traditional ritual dances I've been researching, in that they absolutely emphasize a partnership community. I see in them uh, a root that goes directly back to the old European values that Maria Gimbutas researched and articulated. You know, that, that um, you mentioned before, it's a power with rather than power over. Um, a society of belonging, a society of partnership, um, a society that's sustainable, inclusive, egalitarian, mutually supportive, a peaceful society, an art-loving society, all of these hallmarks of the old European goddess culture that mm-hmm. Marie and Buddha clarified for us, you still see exactly those same elements in the very first place in the dance traditions of these women's ritual dances. And that's very exciting for me because, you know, in my opinion, the dances themselves do go back to that Neolithic period of old Europe. They didn't stop and start again with a bit of a a break. They've continued in an uninterrupted uh, flow, really, through all of those generations. And so the reason I talk about those dances as a secret language of the goddess, is that you can, once you begin to discern that ethic and those values in the dance steps, in the dance songs, in the dance postures, the costumes that women wear when they dance, and the goddess symbols that they embroider on those costumes, you can see how every word... Um, even though, as I said, it's like a nonverbal language, every element of expression within that tradition embodies that culture of the goddess and that ethic of partnership and
0: peace.
1: Well, and, you know, and I'm thinking, too, you know, we always talk about, uh, of course, you can know the goddess with your left brain, but we also know the goddess with our right brain. You know, the goddess is a lot about feeling. And I think these dances engender feelings that I think we would associate with the sacred feminine. I mean, maybe we've said that already, but I don't know, maybe I've just said it a different way. Um, You know, um, I I think when we do the dances, we feel closer to her, whether you think of her as a deity or an archetype or an ideal.
3: Yes, absolutely. And that's what the women are dancing in their step patterns. They trace symbols and motifs on the ground, which, for instance, the tree of life can be identified with the goddess going back thousands of years. And so when you see women dancing a tree of life pattern with their feet, they almost don't have to say anything. It's a silent affirmation, a silent mantra a nonverbal way of speaking the name of the goddess through this symbol that represents her again and again with their feet on the earth. It doesn't need to be explained. They just do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and even uh, in some of our pagan groups, um, I mean, we don't have a lot of dancing, but we do uh, have something, you know, that we call the, the spiral dance. And, yeah, you know, which in, in, Starhawk our yeah, exactly, you know, I mean, because you, you sing and you chant while you're doing the spiral dance. And I bet if, you know, women's groups who always seem to be at each other's throats or <laughs> pagan groups. You know, if we did more of this, we might have a lot less fighting among ourselves. (laughs) I
3: totally believe you, you know. And um, in the villages of northern Greece where I've done a lot of my research, they have quite a few songs that even speak directly about that. There's one that says, basically, in my my heart I have two birds, and one speaks with a tongue of honey, and one speaks with a tongue of red pepper. (laughs) (laughs) It's like acknowledging the two ways that women can speak to each other uh, or about each other. This is something that is completely transcultural. All women can understand this. And, you know, they're singing songs about this as a way to make us mindful. You know, it's this small village again where what you say can have consequences that can cause great harm, maybe without meaning to or maybe with intention, but... Songs like this are a kind of mindfulness practice so that you can be aware of what you do and how you do it and the potential consequences. But I have to say, there are other songs. Um, There's another one, for instance, that says, oh, you know, with my love, nothing could separate us. Not even uh, soldiers with their knives could separate us. But the gossip of the village tongues, that's what drove us apart. Mm So it's not like a warning, you know, but if you look another layer behind songs like those two that I've just described, you also see the women affirming to each other that they have a power. You know, these are, um, I mean, for all that I see uh, remnants of the goddess cultures of old Europe in these women's dance traditions, it is a patriarchal culture (laughs) in Greece and the Balkans for the last couple thousand years, you know, that's uh, definitely the case. And women are often in these culturally disempowered or uh, muted situations. And what they're also doing with songs like that is they're reminding each other that they have a power, They have Mm -hmm. a voice. Maybe they can't run for mayor or elected office or even go down and and speak to the mayor, but they can gossip maybe to the mayor's wife, or Mm -hmm. they can maybe use that capacity to speak harshly in an influential way where the mayor will feel, this is the one example I've seen a number of times, the mayor will feel that he will lose face, he will be shamed if he allows something to happen that's in his power to change. And so that's how the women sometimes take power in an apparently powerless situation. So it's like using that sharp sword of the tongue or the red pepper tongue, using it actually to strengthen the collective good.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it makes me think about that, um, that movie. I think it was My Greek Wedding where the Greek... Um, the wife, uh, was was talking about, well, the man may be the head of the house, but the woman is the neck, neck. meaning, you know, that head doesn't turn without the neck. Right, the (laughs) neck can turn
3: the head any way she wants. I have to say, living in Greece for the last 10 years, I have seen that many, many times. And it's funny because, you know, I spent my whole adult life in the, self-development processes where you try to be clear and direct and open and straightforward in your communication that doesn't work that that way in the Balkans it just doesn't work that way in Greece people have this amazing skill and maybe it's not only Greece and I just never knew it but the women get the men to think it's all their idea and that's how they get them to do what they actually want so maybe it wouldn't have had to be that way if it weren't for the patriarchal history and the denying of the women a voice but this is what's so interesting about the dances also is that I see the Women continuing to have a very powerful voice. It's just not in left brain language.
1: Right, right, right. They, it makes yeah. total sense. Yes,
3: well, now. They come um, together.
1: Um, mm. Well, well. Now let's let. I mean, I know like dances of universal peace and probably the sacred circle dance. I mean, I know dances of universal peace are men and women. Um, the sacred circle dances you're talking about can they be either mixed gender or all women or oh, all yes, men?
3: Absolutely, it can be all of everything. Like in the sacred circle dance world, you mostly find mixed groups, and you have also not just traditional circle dances from different countries, but an amazingly rich repertoire of. People. People have choreographed their own dances to the modern music from wherever that inspires them. And that's a really beautiful development of the circle dance tradition on the planet. My own focus has been the women's dances, particularly the traditional women's ritual dances from Greece and the Balkans and Armenia. And it's not that I don't love the other dances. I do love them all, but other people are doing those they're choreographing them. They're teaching them. They're dancing them. They're passing them on and keeping them alive. And there hasn't really been anyone else that I've come across who's focused on the traditional women's dances the way that that I've been able to do for the last uh, 30 years. And I feel um, I feel absolutely guided to do something with these these traditions that I've been so lucky so fortunate to be able to witness in all of my visits to the villages where the grandmothers just open their their doors um, I feel that I I have to help them keep something alive because the traditions are vanishing quite quickly in their in their origin and it's because of their their community um purpose or the, the the they say that well there might be two or three of us that are still here in this village and we remember the steps and the songs but you don't have a circle with two or three and the dances only exist in the circle because it's all about community as you said before affirming community strengthening community building community and so for them it really is all about the community effects that these dances can have, and that's another way that it goes back to the the focus on partnership and the the focus on togetherness and
1: mutual support, and more than one Well, and if and if you're right about how far back these dances go, you know we're talking about times when you didn't just go to the grocery store for food. You know, I mean life life was brutal, and you know infant mortality was high, and you know just you know maybe even hunter gatherer or the beginning of agriculture, and you know life was uh, not so secure as as ours might be. So maybe these dances um, helped on so many levels, you know, uh, kept mm-hmm. the bond of the community together, maybe strengthened uh, people. Um, I, I don't know, you know, just uh, kept people, um, it, like you said, it releases uh, oxytocin, so mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, leaves you in a, a more positive frame of mind, what helps you cope. Um, uh, so all of it, I mean, it just makes such sense. Absolutely.
3: And, you know, it. I think the dances do go back that far. There's a really interesting book called Dancing at the Dawn of Agriculture by Joseph Garfinkel, and he's made this incredible collection of images of lines and circles of dancing figures, mostly women going back to the Paleolithic era and all through the Neolithic time. And he just makes the point by gathering all of this incredible massive information of the the pot shards from all over the Near East. He says, look, dancing in circles, dancing in lines, dancing together was so important that every culture that had pottery going back that time was marking the fact of the ritual dances also. And so he Mm. thinks they were connected to agriculture. I don't know, but I do know, I do agree completely with, with what you just said, that it's about fostering community in a time when life was hard. And I think people survived better when they were pulling together and everyone was helping everyone else instead of the hierarchical dominator competitive society that we're used to where one person tries to win and is mm-hmm. like happy if the others lose because that means that he's winning more does that sound like a familiar yeah. dynamic absolutely and yeah is: if you're dancing you want everyone in the circle to be dancing the best she can to be in the best health to be strong to be happy to be beautiful because it's like a a, a chain where Every link is strong, and there are no weak links. Yeah, it's almost like an
1: equalizer in a way. Absolutely, yes, yeah, it does. Well. um well, we only have about 10 minutes left, and um, so how I, I see how, how quick the time, the time flew, yeah. um, and I want to make sure um, you have a chance to say where people can find out about the dances and also hear a little bit more about um, your, you know, your graduate degree that you're pursuing at, uh, oh, in Canterbury yes. there.
3: Thank you for mentioning that, Karen. Well, I will just say briefly, uh, you already mentioned my website. It's just my name, laurashannon.net. There are articles. There's a list of my upcoming workshops. Um, I do have a two-year women's training program that I have been running for the last 15 years in Sweden, Austria, different parts of Germany, in the U.S., and I will be giving one in Canada starting on um, October of 2017 on Vancouver Island. And you so teach that the dances? Is that yeah, you Yeah, I workshops? teach the dances, and I also teach the theory behind what I've discovered about the dances in my lifetime of research. So how the women's ritual dances are tools for healing, for women's empowerment, for building community, for personal transformation so that people can engage the left brain and the right brain and understand how the dances work. Because I think we need to have an awareness of what we're doing and why it's effective in order for them to be truly effective. I mean, something does happen when we just dance. We feel we feel the bliss. That's almost enough. <laughs> but for mm-hmm. people who want to learn to use these dances themselves in group work, there's a lot more history and a lot more theory that uh, comes with that. But for people who just want to dance with me, um, all my workshops are there. And I have to confess, Karen, I'm not very good at keeping my website up to date. One of the things I keep intending to do is have a list of links of some of the women, hundreds of women who've already done this training with me and are running their own groups and courses. I don't have that page set up yet, unfortunately. But if you Google... um, Women's ritual dances, I'm sure you can find something happening in your area. Or just circle dance, sacred dance, dances of universal peace. Because all dancing in a circle is going to bring us those benefits. It's all worth doing, I think. And um, it's true that I, I guess I'm the only one who's been focusing on the women's ritual dances. But any any kind of dancing in a circle is like stepping into that old ethic of community and mutual support and stepping away from the poison if I can call it poison of a, an idea of competition and domination as the only way for people to relate to each other mean, yeah. you've seen where that ethic has gotten us on every level and our planet too so it's a profound political and personal act to just take hands in any circle you can find and dance together with that trust and that open-mindedness, and connecting with all of your brothers and sisters in the
1: human family who were there, not just with yeah. the people in the chair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I I think, uh, I I mean, I've mentioned already, you know, I I, I was a Catholic in the early days, Mm. and I never felt like that going to church. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, so skip skip (laughs) Mass, go to a circle dance. (laughs) Oh,
3: absolutely. Well, this is where, I think it's what church maybe used to give to people, but the main thing that's so important is the inclusiveness. Of the mm-hmm. dancing. You know, you don't have to belong to the same religion. The dances come from people of all religions. For me, they're pre religious, pre monotheistic, pre patriarchal They're very
1: universal. Uh, and and, and I, know, I know with the dances of universal peace, the mantras um, sometimes they're Hindu, sometimes they're Christian. I mean, they're yes. multicultural. Um, yes. So, that in itself. I think, create, you know, uh, it promotes diversity and multiculturalism and this whole oh, yes. interconnection thing, you know? And
3: for everyone to feel welcome.
1: And mm-hmm. uh,
3: there are some dances of universal peace, mantras for the goddess as well, different names mm-hmm. of the goddess. And I think that's also important, to bring an awareness of the divine feminine back into our space of what is sacred. And... um The way that the women dance in Greece and the Balkans, they stand with such a sense of power. They wear traditionally costumes that give them not just a a personal expression of how they feel or who they are, but it brings them into a transpersonal expression of a cosmic energy of the divine feminine. They become like priestesses of the goddess. So they are representing that holy power of the goddess, and it's all done in a ritual way—from making the costumes to preparing them to the fact that they clean their whole house before they even dream of going out, dressing up, and and dancing these dances. And then many of the costumes have goddess embroideries on them, so you have this secret affirmation all over the hem of the apron, whatever, or the sleeve ends, goddess figures with cosmic energy lines, and then the women standing in these goddess stances, goddess-derived postures, with energy flowing through them, the same bliss and joy that we've been talking about. People embroider that with little lines radiating (laughs) from the goddess figures, you know? And then they, they do it. They bring it into action and give that gift to the community. It's the gift of a village where all the women have something that makes them really happy and strong. And yeah. I, I want to live in that world. I want to live in a world where all the people I meet are happy and strong and committed to creating a, a good and healthy community. So that's what the, the dance workshops that I give are all about, trying to give us a, a way to connect with those old values as an antidote to the the values of our modern life. And that's the other well thing fed. that... Um, Thank you. The, that's what inspired me to go back to graduate school 30 years after my first degrees. Um, at Canterbury Christchurch University in Canterbury, England, they have a new department of myth, cosmology, and the sacred. And I heard about this program through Marguerite Riglioso who's also been on your show. And mm-hmm. she was a faculty member on that program when it started. And it's... Trying to bring esoteric wisdom back into the mainstream academy, which I think is just fantastic. And what they say in their blurb, which made me just want to sign up right away, is they give, get this, they give equal value to rational and non-rational ways of knowing and transmitting wisdom and information. which is what education was about from the beginning, you know. And if we had another hour, we could talk about the ways that these dances are also the ways that women use to encode and transmit their information because they were excluded from the verbal kinds of um, institutionalized teaching structures like the academy. But that didn't stop them from passing on their wisdom through the generations. And then through this course of study, where I'm doing the master's degree at the moment, and if I'm lucky, I hope <laughs> I can continue and do the PhD, they're very open to this idea that the women were transmitting this knowledge through nonverbal or nonrational ways. You know, when I was expecting that the academic perspective would be to kind of exclude anything connected with the goddess, anything connected with the divine feminine, anything encoded in a nonverbal or artistic kind of language. And instead, the course directors are, tell me more, tell us more. What else did you find out in those villages? Tell us all
1: about it. So it's Mm -hmm. a really, really beautiful and pioneering program. It sounds incredible. It, but yeah. uh, but I would imagine this is not something you can do online. You have to actually be there in Canterbury. Yeah,
0: they
3: have a one-year full-time version of the MA program. But, you know, it's not difficult to come and live in Canterbury for a year. There's like 35,000 students in Canterbury, so there's lots of people. Um, but the course itself is very small. It's like uh, 20, 25 students, very manageable. And, you know, mm-hmm. there aren't so many degree courses like this Actually, anywhere in the world. I know there are some amazing programs and institutions in California, particularly. But for people who find it hard to get there, or or find it difficult to, um, you know, to to put themselves through a graduate school at um, the current prices, you know, the the British um, alternative um, might be interesting for other people. I don't
0: know. I'm certainly having well, a know, wonderful would be time.
1: Well, you think about here in the United States, you know, stuff like this is unfortunately, uh, I mean, you know, I have academics on the show often, and they're just uh, lamenting the, uh, the the troubles in academia, I mean, because it's getting to the point where they can't even teach their students truth, much less um, things like you're talking about, you know. I, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's getting to the point where colleges just colleges just want to, Um, you know, uh, graduate robots, you know. Right, uh, and it's all
3: about who can make money or make money for the college or, yeah, yeah. it's uh, tragic. It's so far from the spirit of
1: education as a
3: personal development and wisdom. Yeah, I
1: mean, the art classes go, the women's studies classes go, the ethnic studies go. I mean, all the things that really speak to the right brain or the empowerment of people who aren't the status quo.
3: Exactly. And that's what's so dangerous. How can we lose those things from education now? We need that more than ever.
1: Absolutely. So one well, of the Laura, things, we we only bring. have we only have two minutes left. So I will give you a quick wrap. And you know, maybe um maybe we'll have to have you on again if if we can explore this uh a little oh, bit yes, further.
3: Pick up where but, we left off. Maybe so, maybe much to so.
1: I, I didn't realize this would be such a rich conversation. I could have had you as my first guest, and we could have just kept talking. But, oh, well, uh,
3: Laura Eisenhower also had a lot of great stuff to say. <laughs> but uh, I'd be happy to come back any time, because I think the connections that you're making to how the dances can help build community in women's groups is really important and worth talking about, too.
1: Okay. Well, your final word in 20 seconds? <laughs> Thank
3: you, Karen, for creating a forum where people can come together and talk about what's needed and share resources which might be able to meet some of those needs. And everybody, please join Hands and Dance. <laughs>
1: I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you for what you're doing out there. Uh, thank you for explaining to me it's the oxytocin. Right. <laughs> it, it's the oxytocin that we're getting. I, I Now I'll be able to explain it to everybody, not to mention they're connecting with the goddess. So, well, exactly. So it's laurashannon.net. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. I really appreciate it. And we'll get you back on.
3: Thank you, Karen. What a great pleasure and honor to be with you tonight. Take good care.
1: You too. Good night. Good night. Well, I think that about does it for us tonight, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed Mm -hmm. uh, the wonderful wisdom of these two Loras. And um, I don't think I uh, can add much more. So uh, as we uh, close out tonight's show, I'll just let you listen to uh, Meta Prayer by Celia me